Good morning, Canyon Hills. Welcome. If this is your first time visiting us, my name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here at Canyon Hills Fringe Church, and it's just great to be with each and every one of you, and I get the distinguished honor and privilege of sharing this morning's message with you as we kick off our brand new series called Upstream. And I want to do so by starting off by asking you a question. I want you to real quick think back to the first time that you became a Christian, or when you first became a Christian. Some of you that may be like a couple weeks ago, maybe some of you it's a couple months, a couple years, generation, a lifetime ago, whatever it may be. I want you to think back to when you first became a Christian. And now answer this question. How many of you feel that the world and the culture that existed when you first became a Christian no longer exists today? Raise your hand. All right. Amen. Yes. I think a lot of us in this room could agree on the fact that our world and our culture is radically and rapidly changing every single day. And we can sit here as Christians and debate until we're blue in the face about when we saw this shift away from Christianity in the West. But what we all can agree upon is that we today are witnesses to one of the most massive shifts away from the cultural consensus that we've ever had in our lifetimes or even several generations ago. And the response and the question then becomes, how do we as Christians approach this? How do we respond when the culture and society and the world around us is changing every day? How do we keep our Christian values? How do we respond when we begin attacked? How do we respond when culture starts to tell us how we should live as Christians and what is right and what is wrong? What's the response to that? What do you do when the world that you once grew up in is fading right before your eyes? What do you do when the culture and society no longer shares your values? no longer really pays much attention to you or even thinks that you have anything worthwhile to offer to this world or even to the culture? How do we respond as a Christian? And so what we're going to do over the next six weeks as we start this brand new series called Upstream is try to tackle that question. And we're calling it Upstream because sometimes we just feel like we're swimming upstream against the current of our culture. And it's tiring. It's hard. It's painstaking work. It's frustrating, but it can be done. And so we're going to take a look at how to remain a Christian, how to hold true to our values when the culture is changing around us. We're going to look at things like identity and authenticity and wisdom and confidence and compassion. Today, I get to take it from the more broader sense to really ask this fundamental question or answer this fundamental question of how as Christians do we respond to a culture that seems to be out to get us? How do we best represent Christ in the world that exists here and today? And I think that there's five different responses that we can have as Christians when we see the culture around us, three of them being not so good and two of them being ideal, what we should do. And as I work through these five points this morning, I just challenge you and I encourage you to think and ask yourself the question, which one of these is most like my response? When I look at the culture, when I look at things changing around me every single day, which one of these responses do I relate the most to? And then what can I learn from what's being said? It's pretty crazy when we start to look at it. So one of our first responses that we see from Christians in response to the culture changing around us is to be oblivious to the culture around us. Some of us are oblivious to the culture around us. Actually, first service, somebody said, you know, I think there might be a better word for this, and it would be apathetic. So you're not really oblivious, but you really just don't care what's happening around you. But the idea behind this and this response is that you just kind of go to church and do your own thing. There are churches all across America, 
believe it or not, who are oblivious to culture. You can walk in the doors and you wouldn't know if it's 2020, 1920, or 1620 for that matter. You go in, it just looks outdated. It's run down. There's paint peeling off the walls. It's not really culturally relevant. It just feels weird. It smells weird when you walk inside. It's just wrong. It's just gross. And then you still, you're like, I'm going to give it a shot. So you walk forward and you sit on the pew and there's just cloud of green dust just pops up and kind of envelops you as you're sitting down. And the worship team comes up and they start to sing these songs of praise, but it's just like, there's nothing there. It's just stale. It's stagnant. It just feels routine. It feels like there's nothing exciting. There's nothing new. There's no Holy Spirit moving in the midst of this worship. And then the pastor, the preacher gets up and starts to deliver a message that just seems monotone. It seems boring. It doesn't seem relevant or engaging with the culture that the very same people sitting in the seats are going to have to deal with that next day, come Monday morning. It just is weird. And the ironic part about this and the sad part about this is that there are so many Christians who love to attend these types of churches. And the reason why is because it means that they don't have to make a stand. They don't have to make a choice. They don't have to make a decision when it comes to the culture that exists around them. They just go to church. They focus on their own personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and they try to become oblivious to culture. They don't want to engage in it. They don't want to read about it. They don't want to see it. They don't want to talk about it. That Christian faith is just about my walk with Jesus. It's about me. And when I die and go to heaven, it's not how many souls that I save. It's not how many lives that I change. It's did I live a good enough life to get myself to heaven? It's this very interesting approach. And the ironic part about this is that we're seeing this mentality start to grow in our culture and our community today to where there's almost this motto or this mindset of Christians that's become just a you be you. Just you be you, which means be happy, believe what you want to believe, maybe do some good every now and then, and ultimately you'll earn your golden ticket to the pearly gates. It's this idea of I'm just going to go to church, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to work on my own life, and then my life with Jesus, and that's it. I don't care about the world. I don't care about culture. I don't care about people are suffering or that we're in war. And none of that matters because it's about my relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's all that matters. They're oblivious and they're apathetic to the culture that is changing around them every single day. But do you know what the problem with this is? What happens when Christians start to become oblivious to the culture around them? We begin to become indifferent. And as a result, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that culture in turn becomes indifferent back to us. And I've had so many conversations with Christians. They say, Matt, I just don't get it. I mean, I don't tell people at work that I'm a Christian. I don't bring it up at family dinners. I don't go around wearing Christian attire. I try to avoid politics and government issues and voting and all these things. I don't read the newspaper. I don't watch the news. I just don't want anything to do with it, right? It's just, I'm sure something's going on, but I don't want anything to do with it. But I don't understand why I'm still being attacked. Why I have people in my work who know that I'm a Christian come and badmouth me or make fun of me? Why there's people in my own family who hate me because they know that I'm a Christian. I don't understand. I'm not doing anything. I'm not engaging in any of this stuff, and yet I'm still being attacked by the culture around me. And it's at that point that I look at them and say, hey, you know what? The reality is this. Just because you're oblivious to the culture around you doesn't mean that it ceases to exist. That's not how it works. Culture is still going to be there, and it's going to do whatever it can to get your attention to draw you in, to make you think, to question what you believe, because that's what our culture does. It's always seeking to find new ways or to prove based off of scientific fact or whatever it may be. 
And a lot of Christians, they don't like to deal with those things. So they just become oblivious and shut it down and don't want anything to do with it. But we can't have this approach. And we know we shouldn't have this approach because Jesus himself tells us this isn't the approach to have when we see culture around us. In fact, Jesus was never once oblivious to the cultural changes around him. In fact, he would do whatever it would take to immerse himself in culture so he could begin to make a difference. He met with people in the streets. He was in the marketplaces. He was in the synagogues. He was down at the beach. He was in the hillsides. He was wherever the people were. He was living with the people. He was engaging with the people. He was listening with the people. He was doing ministry with the people around him. And as he was doing this, he began to learn their stories and to hear their cries. He could see that they were suffering. He could see that they were tired of oppression. He could see that they were longing for something more than life had to offer. He could see that they were hungry and thirsty and in need. And so he decided to do something about it. Instead of being oblivious and saying, yeah, that stinks. You don't have clothes and you're hungry. Well, too bad and walk away. He actually did whatever he could in his power to make a change, to engage with the culture that existed around him. And he calls us as his apostles, his disciples, his followers to do that very same thing. That when we see a need, when we see somebody hurting, when we see the world and justice around us, if we have the ability to do so, to step in and do something about it. I mean, we actually see this in a passage from the gospel of Matthew. Look at this. In Matthew 25, it says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes to clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You see, Jesus knew he couldn't be oblivious to the culture around him. He knew that people were hurting. He knew that evil existed. It was lurking in the darkness. He knew that there was an injustice. And so he challenged his followers to say, don't be oblivious to it, but do what's right. Stand up for injustice. Stand firm to what you believe to be true and right. Show a genuine love and compassion for other people. Treat people with dignity and respect. If you have the ability to give when other people are hurting and in need, Make wise decisions based off of all of the information rather than just reacting in the moment. Go and make more and better disciples with a confidence that only Jesus Christ can give. You see, Jesus never once was oblivious to the culture and he challenges us, don't just shun it away. Don't just become oblivious or apathetic and don't care because there's a real need that exists around you that I want you to do something about that I've equipped you, that I've given you gifts and talents and strengths to be able to work on and work towards. That's what it comes down to. So if we can't be oblivious to the culture, our next natural response is this, to hide from the culture. Our next response is to hide away from the culture. And the main difference here is those who are oblivious to culture, they really do their best not to know what's going on. Those who hide from the culture, they know exactly what's going on, but it makes them scared. It makes them afraid. And so what do they do? they hide away. And you'll see Christians in this camp, this kind of feeling, they say, you know what? I really don't want to engage in anything secular. I don't want anything to do with this. I'm going to kind of set up my own network as a cocoon away from the rest of the world where I'm kind of protected and I'm comfortable and I don't really have to engage with these different things. 
And they'll find all different kinds of things to fill their time, like GodTube and Facebook, all these Christian alternatives that exist to mainstream media and society, so they don't have to be a part of it. But you see, the problem with this mentality is that it kind of negates the very mission of the church. When we choose to hide away from culture, it means that we are retreating from the command that God has given to us to go and make more and better disciples. Because when we hide away, we say, I'm just comfortable where I'm at. And we're comfortable where we're at because we have these friends who share very similar feelings and thoughts and values like we do. And when we start to look at our social circle of our friends, what we soon realize is that everybody's a Christian around me. I don't have any friends who are non-Christians. Yeah, I've got acquaintances. I've got coworkers who are non-Christians. But people I consider a friend, they're all Christians. I'm not challenging myself to go and make more and better disciples. I'm not being used by God to work and minister and evangelize to someone who doesn't necessarily believe what I believe. And we kind of put ourselves in these cocoons where we're just surrounded by like Christians and we're negating the very same thing that God has called us to do. You know, this became most relevant to me when I started working at Disneyland. You know, growing up, I was a Christian and I went in a Christian household and we would attend church every week. And all of my friends were people that were in the children's ministry and in the junior high ministry. Then when I got to high school, what I realized after we moved churches is that the people that I would eat lunch with, the people that I would be on breaks with were people who were also in the youth group at my church. And soon I realized that everybody around me was a Christian. I didn't have any non-Christian friends at that time. And then in college, when I went to a biblical university, once again, I was surrounded by Christians or people who called themselves Christians. I was always around a Christian environment. And it wasn't until I started working at Disney that I had this eye-opening culture shock reality that there are so many non-Christians out there. But there's also some very beautiful, wonderful, amazing people who are non-Christians. And what I started to realize is I started to work and engage with people and get to know with people, hear their stories in their life. I realized that I was a hider, that I intentionally tried to hide away. I wouldn't tell people that I was a Christian. I wouldn't tell people that I would go to church. I wouldn't talk about my faith. I wouldn't talk about religion or try to share what God's doing in my life with people because I was afraid. I was afraid that somebody would ask me questions. Somebody would ask me to try to evangelize to them or to win them over. Or even worse, somebody would start asking me questions about what I believe and why I believe, and I would be religion shamed because I didn't know it. And so it was easier for me to hide away than to stand firm in what I knew was true and what was bold. It was easier to hide. But what I came to find out is that you can't hide anything at Disneyland. The mouse always finds you. It's crazy. You know, they say that Disneyland is like high school drama, but a little bit more goofy. It's just, it's weird, right? It's just, that's the dynamic that exists there. And as I started to move up the ranks in leadership, I realized I couldn't just hide away. I had to be engaging with people. I had to get to know people a little bit more. And as I started to get to know people and invest in their life, soon I realized that they started to invest back in me. And genuine, real friendships started to grow with people that didn't share the same beliefs, didn't share the same values as I did. And we would have some amazing conversations all over religion, faith, politics, whatever it may be, but it didn't make a difference because we were friends. At the end of the day, it wasn't, oh, I hate you because you believe this. It was a mutual respect for each other and what they believed. And it was really impactful for me to see this. And soon, as I started to build these friendships up, I would get invited to parties. At Disneyland parties, are, they're off the hook, right? There's all kinds of stuff that goes on in Disneyland parties. But I would always say no. 
I don't want to go because once again, I'm going to hide away. That's not my scene. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to inject myself or subject myself to that. I just don't want anything to do with it. And soon I realized that people who I call friends started to not be my friend. And people who originally were inviting me places to do things with them were stopping inviting me places to do things with them. And as I started to ask questions why and started to hear the rumors and the mumblings behind my back, it was, oh, that guy's a Christian. He doesn't do any of this stuff. He's too good to hang out with the rest of us. And that was hard for me to hear, that I had set an image of Christ in my working environment that as a Christian, I am better. I'm an elitist. I'm too good for the people around me. That was hard to hear. And now looking back upon it, I wish that I had engaged in those parties. I had gone into them because it would have given me an opportunity to preach, to share my faith, to say, hey, look, you're trying to fill your life with drugs and alcohol, sex, whatever it may be, but there's such a better way. These things are just temporary feelings that are going to be gone tomorrow. But if you want true power, if you want true life, something that truly fills you up inside, I can tell you what that is. And I'd love to share with you about that. But I was a chicken, and I hid away, and I decided not to do it because it was easier for me not to say that I was a Christian than to stand by what I believed. The sad point is this. I now have lost so many people that I would consider close friends due to drugs, alcohol, and stupid decisions that I met while working at Disney. People who have died that I will never get the opportunity to speak to again. People who I feel that God had called me to, to make a difference to share my faith, to speak into their lives, to be a support, to be a reference that I was too afraid to step out and do because it would have made me uncomfortable. And now I'll never get the chance to do it. And so I encourage you, I plead with you, there are people in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, even in your own families who are desperate to hear the word of God, who are searching for an alternative to life something better, something greater, who are suffering, who are tired of oppression, who are hungry and thirsty and need that God is calling us to, that God has equipped you to speak to, don't let it pass you by. Engage with them because tomorrow is not promised. And you have this one moment, this opportunity to be the Christian that God has called you to be. By the way, has any of you found me in this picture? Some of you have been probably searching the whole entire time, completely oblivious to everything that I just said. It's like, I'm still looking for him. If you haven't found me, I'm right here. Once again, hiding away in the crack of the rock, right? I just, that makes my point so evident and clear. But you see, a lot of us, we can't really hide away. God has never called us to hide. In fact, Jesus had multiple opportunities to hide. In fact, there are times he should have hidden. The best example, I think, is when he was in the garden at the very last moments of his life, right? He knew that culture was coming for him. The world was out for blood. They were coming with swords and torches and mobs and riots and armies, shackles and chains. They were out for blood and they wanted him. And he knew it. He had the perfect opportunity to hide, to run away, to escape, but he chose to do something different. Look what it says in the Gospel of John. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, let these men go. 
See, Jesus had the perfect opportunity to run and hide. He knew what was awaiting for him, and yet he still went with boldness and confidence and said, look, you're looking for me? I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm going to be real. This is who I am. If you want me, I'm here. And that's the same thing he's calling us to do, that we cannot be ashamed of the fact that we are a Christian. This culture, this world is trying so hard to make us feel guilty, to make us feel bad that we are Christians. And God says, no, there is such a confidence that I'm instilling in you that you need to be bold. You need to be firm. You need to stand up for what's right and say, I am proud to be a Christian because I have a love. I have something in my life that far surpasses anything else this world could ever offer me. And I'm going to stop hiding. I'm going to make the most of this opportunity rather than retreating away and just perpetuating the stereotype of Christians. It's time that we be bold and step up rather than living this complacent Christian lifestyle that a lot of us are in where it's just easier to hide away. So if you're not oblivious, if you don't want to hide away, the third thing that it leads, it usually escalates to is to slam the culture around you. Our third response is to slam the culture around you. And unfortunately, this response is becoming more prominent and more prevalent in the last couple of generations and decades, perhaps reaching its pinnacle, its point, when the United States Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage. It was very difficult. And as a result of that, we've now seen Christians get up in arms, get on the defensive and go on the attack against government, against political leaders, against neighbors and relatives and friends and coworkers based off of what they believe and where they stand. And they go to platforms such as Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and blogs, and they just make these movies and posts and videos just shaming and slamming the culture that exists around us, saying, how dare you have a different value than I do? That what you're doing is wrong. What I'm doing is the right way to do it. And what always amazes me in these responses is the fact that somewhere in our mind, we have this expectation that non-Christians should behave like Christians when they aren't even a Christian. It just doesn't make sense to me. And because we have this mentality, we start to judge people and say, you know what? Your views are whack. They're way different. I don't understand them. I don't agree with them. So I'm going to be very vocal. I'm going to be very verbal. I'm going to go up in arms. I'm going to slam what you have to believe because it's wrong. But aren't we as Christians facing the same thing from our culture? Isn't that what we are terrified the culture is going to do to us? Say, man, you have a different viewpoint as a Christian. Your way is wrong. The rest of the world's on this train, so you need to get your act right. And then we get all indignant and say, hey, well, that's not right. How dare you do that to me? Your way is wrong. It's just this back and forth battle where you're slamming each other. But that's not the right response. That's not the right response. That's not what God has called us to do on earth at all especially when it comes to judging our neighbor. I think we forget what's said in the book of James. Look at this. It says, there's only one lawgiver and judge, one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? That's what it comes down to. And this is hard for a lot of us to hear. This is hard for a lot of us to swallow because maybe we find ourselves in that response where we love to slam the culture around us. We don't care whatever it means. We have a hard time, but we need to stop slamming non-Christians for being a non-Christian. Instead, start to teach them the truth of the gospel, to show them love in the world that is really just showing hate in return, to break the stereotype of Christians, to do whatever we can. Like the point is this, if you want to continue to be uneffective in reaching out to the non-Christians, yeah, continue to judge people. But if you want to be the Christian that God has called you to be, one of boldness and confidence and integrity and authenticity and wisdom, 
We need to start loving on our neighbors rather than hating them, a kind of love that God has shown to us. And for those of us who are really intent on slamming the government because they've got a different viewpoint or a different cultural standpoint than we do, I think there's something we need to recognize. Having a government that doesn't share our viewpoint as Christians line for line actually puts us in really good company, puts us in the company of the earliest church. I mean, look at the example of Jesus. Jesus was in front of the government all the time, but never once did he ask the government to change. The people even came up to him and said, God, we want your government established here on earth. And he always responded, my kingdom isn't of this earth. And Paul, Paul was continually in front of the Roman officials, but he never once asked them to change the laws. Instead, he said, I want you to have a personal encounter with Jesus, with God, so he can begin to change your heart. And then when he was arrested, when he was tortured, tried, thrown in prison, ultimately put to death, never once did he ask to be released. And so what did he do? He wrote letters saying, man, my God loves me so much. I am so thankful. I am so grateful that God has placed me in this situation right here, right now, even though I'm suffering, because it's given me the opportunity to reach a group of people I never would have had the opportunity to do. How crazy that, to have that kind of viewpoint, to have that standard. What we learn from that, from Jesus and God, is that our hope isn't found in the government. Our hope is found in God. And we need to get to a place where we are relying upon God to make the change and being faithful to being his hands and feet and trying to do our best to help with that, but ultimately asking God to intervene, asking God and being faithful to pray and say, God, we need your help right now. We need you to start changing our world for the better. And yeah, as a result of that, some of us may suffer. But let me tell you this, our suffering today as Americans is far less radical as suffering is around the rest of the world. I mean, even in the United States, we have a government that protects our freedom to assemble. We have a government that gives us the ability to have disagreements and not see eye to eye with people. We even get some tax incentives for being charitable. We don't really have it that bad when we think about it. But can you imagine if the culture, if the church, if our church started to be a little bit more like that earliest church, where we sold our possessions and gave to those who were in need? When we started to look at each other, not with hatred and malice, but with dignity and respect and love, where we started to truly love our husbands and wives with a biblical type of love rather than what the world thinks and defines love is, that we would be willing to sacrifice our homes, our cars, our possessions, our families, our lives, because we're bold enough to say that we belong to something greater that we belong to Jesus Christ. You, can you imagine what the world would look like? How radically different this place would be? There would be a revolution like we haven't seen in years to millennia. And the government would take notice and say, man, there is something different about this group of people, something we need to learn from this group of people. You see, we have the ability to come alongside of God and to pray and work and be his hands and feet, but we can't do it if we're oblivious. We can't do it if we're hiding away. We can't do it if we're always slamming the culture that exists around us. So what do we do? What is our response as Christians to a culture that's rapidly changing around us? Well, first point is this, to embrace the culture around us to embrace the culture around us. And of all the responses we've talked about so far, this one is the most encouraging to me. And ironically, no pun intended, it's the one that I try to embrace in my own life. And yeah, there are going to be things in this culture that we disagree with, things that are upsetting, things that put us off. But does that mean that we stop loving people? No, it does not. 
Absolutely not. It's the furthest thing that we should be doing. And in an age when we're seeing the church and we're seeing Christians push people away because maybe they're different, maybe they think differently, they feel differently, maybe they're not like us, the missions field has become ripe for Christians to show a true type of love to their neighbor they've never seen before. A type of love that Jesus has called us to. A type of love that far surpasses any hate and the stereotype that the world is trying so hard to show us in this life. And it's crazy when we think about this. Now, does this mean that we have to embrace everything that they believe or agree with where they stand on things? No, not at all. But I want you to think about this. The church in America right now is in a very unique position to offer one of the most amazing countercultural viewpoints on some of our culture's biggest key issues. Things like sexuality and family and drugs and finances and basic disciplines like self-centeredness, self-control and forgiveness. What I mean by this is this, we live in a world that has this mentality that sex is anything that you want it to be. But Christianity steps in and says, look, sex isn't about the what, sex places value in the who. And if you have value in the who, it changes the what and the how. That's a radically different viewpoint that the church can come alongside and help people see and make it more meaningful. Or in a place, in a world, in a culture that says that greed and debt are the norm, Christianity can step in and say, hey, there is true value in generosity, in compassion, in giving back to the world, giving back to our culture, and that our worth, our life, our whole being isn't measured by how many things we accumulate or how we have. How crazy is that? And Christianity can start to teach young families how not to go into debt, how to live a better life, how to save things that are deeply biblical. Or in a world that says that families, it's okay for them to fragment and break apart before our very eyes. Christianity comes along and says, let us help support you. Let us give counseling to the kids. Let us give resources, lend aid, lend support, lend an ear, be there for those who are struggling and don't know what to do with their marriages. Let's change the way that family is viewed. Do you guys see the pattern here? If we truly step into this embracing response, it means that we're willing to get into culture. We're willing to immerse ourselves in culture to see a need and to begin to do something about it, to come alongside somebody in a loving manner. And you know what? In this post-Christian society culture, it's not the fact that people are rejecting Christianity. It's the fact that people don't understand Christianity because they've never been given the chance to understand it. Nobody's ever come alongside of them in a loving and generous manner to teach them, rather than just pointing fingers and hatred towards them. And what you'll find out, what I found out at Disneyland, is that people, even non-Christians, are really willing to listen. They're willing to hear that maybe there is an alternative. Maybe there is something better that exists out there, but they'll only listen if it comes from a viewpoint of love and not a viewpoint of condemnation and judgment. They want to know. Just like Jesus says, there's people who are longing for something more. The same thing is true in our culture today. They're longing for something more. And it's time for us as Christians to rise up with confidence and say, hey, let me point you to Jesus. Because he can sustain. He can fill you up. He can give you everything that you need. And he can help you in your time of need. And how we do that? How we really do that is our last response, and that's to reach the culture around us. To reach the culture around us. See, the culture around us isn't the only culture. Our church is even a culture. 
And I have two different viewpoints on this. I think that as a culture, we can either be a barrier to society or we can be a bridge to society. And there's so many of us who have this mentality that, you know what, I'm gonna have this barrier up, that culture is bad, that we're this exclusive group of Christians. And if you wanna believe what we believe, if you wanna know Jesus, then you've gotta come into this building to understand him, to receive him, to do all of these things, to be saved by Jesus. But we miss out once again on the mission of Jesus to go, to make more and better disciples of Jesus, to be a bridge, to be an extension of his hands and feet, meaning go into the culture, go into your communities, go into your workplaces and start to share the truth of the gospel with people. That instead of having them come here to physically go and do what Jesus has called us to do. And what does that look like? That means that we start to understand culture. You see, the point is this, is that you will never truly begin to make a difference, make an impact, unless you understand the culture that exists around you. Unless you're willing to love the culture exists around you. If you're so shut off to it, you're never going to reach the unreached people, the unchurched people. But if you are willing to maybe break that barrier down, to be a bridge, you're going to find people are open and people are longing for something deeper in this world. Something far greater than anything they could ever possibly experience. And they want to engage. They want to figure out how can we adapt culture into what we believe. And there's a couple easy ways to do that. First, I think about worship, right? Music is one of the largest growing, still growing industries in the entire world. People love music. It speaks to their souls. They sing it in their cars. They're singing it at work when there's even no music playing. It's always running through their heads. It's this way that people connect to something bigger than themselves. What if we were to truly tap into that as Christians? If that means that we've got these cool fancy lights or moving backgrounds or fog, and we've got this music that's pop, it's hip, it's relatable, and maybe it's a little bit loud, but it makes you feel something inside, that's where God can continue to move. Because for some people, that's the only way that they'll experience Christ in their life, by something that can speak to them in a way that a pastor, a preacher, a friend, a family member never could. And so maybe we need to revitalize or reform how we do worship. Maybe it means that you stand up in the front during worship and you lift your hands in praise because it's not about what other people think. It's not about what other people see. It's about how you are experiencing, how you are connecting with God in that moment. It's about being real and being vulnerable because that's what our world's looking for. Vulnerability, honesty, integrity, authenticity. Maybe that means that when people come into church, instead of having this 30-minute monotone sermon that's super boring and you're all just like, I want more coffee, maybe it's engaging. Maybe it's challenging. Maybe it's thought-provoking that it encourages you that when you leave to think, man, maybe I am doing something wrong. Maybe I should be doing something else. And you can take that into your own communities, into your own workplaces and say, how can I share God in the midst of my environment? That doesn't mean that you slap the Bible on their desk and say, read it. Never works, trust me. Never means you throw the Bible at them and say, you shouldn't hit by the word of God, right? It doesn't happen that way. What it means is that you lovingly come alongside of people and you simply say, look, my life has found fulfillment in things that don't fade away. My life has found fulfillment in something greater than these temporary pleasures of the earth. And this is how Jesus has moved me. This is how Jesus has changed me. This is how Jesus has made me a better person. Never once was that convicting. Never once was that judgmental. And people will look at that and say, man, you know what? I've seen that change in your life. How do I get that? How can I tap into that? 
People want to know. People want to learn. And it's not about bashing them or slamming them or hiding away from them or objecting them or being, you know, apathetic to them. It's about coming alongside of them. It's about reaching out to them and saying, look, I just want to share with you simply how I found joy. And I want that for you as well. See, folks, the point is this. It's not to change what we say. It's to change how we're saying it. It's not to change what we believe. Absolutely not. But it's really about how we express it and how we say it. It's about coming alongside in a real genuine love towards people instead of this critical eye of hatred towards people. You see, the world is looking to us as Christians right now more than they ever have before as things are rapidly changing, as our culture, our government, our politics, as the landscape of America is rapidly changing. They're looking to Christians saying, what are they going to do next? And what if instead of slamming culture and hiding away, avoiding it, that we rose up in love? that we truly started to make the difference that Jesus Christ has called us to make in this world, to be his hands and feet, to go and share the love of Jesus Christ, to teach the truth of scripture, because so many people are willing to learn, but nobody's ever given them the opportunity. And so instead of bashing them and judging them and slamming them and shaming them for not being a Christian, why don't we help them understand how to become one? To see what we believe and why we believe it and how it's personally changed us for the better. So the question is, what response do you have? Because the world, the culture around you, in your workplaces, your homes, your neighborhoods, they're watching to see how you respond. They're watching to see how you react. And they'll say, that's what the Christians believe. What representation of Christ are you living out for other people to see? Would you pray with me? Father, this is a difficult message. Father, it's a convicting message as we are, as Christians, swimming upstream more so than we ever have before. Father, we're facing new challenges, new difficulties, new struggles every single day. But God, I pray that you would allow us not to hide away, not to run from it, not to be oblivious to it, not to slam it, Father, but to embrace it, to start to reach it and figure out how can I show the love of God in this moment? How can I show the power of Jesus Christ? How can I show the life-changing transformation that can take place in what's going on right now? How can I be a better witness, a better Christian? How can I better be your hands and feet in a world that needs you more? Yeah, our culture is rapidly changing. Yeah, it's difficult. But we know that you have called us to something greater you call us to remain firm to what we know is true, to be authentic, to have our true identity found in you and not in things of this world, to be confident in who you are that gives us a boldness to go and make more in disciples, to be wise in how we speak and how we react and how we engage with other people, to be authentic with those that we meet rather than superficial, to be compassionate and to show love in a world that's so riddled with hate. God, I pray that you bolden us, that you challenge us, that you equip us just to be your hands and feet, to be a better representation of who you are, especially in how we respond to things in this world. We love you, Father. We pray this in your name.